1: That's right, my name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, well, we ha- I hope you had a nice weekend as well. Um, there's a lot going on uh, with respect to uh, the election and uh, Trump's path to victory. He had a great uh, rally in Georgia. The turnout was just absolutely amazing. And uh, there just seems to be so much going on with um, PSYOPs and uh, other things that you, you you hardly know where to go and who to trust and and what people are saying. You know, you turn on even other channels uh, that are more conservative and they're sort of talking about Trump 2024 and I'm like, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go. Uh, the, the only focus I have right now is figuring out how it is that Trump is going to win and staying on that course. And for me, that's what's important to me. And there's a lot of things we can complain about. And we're going to play a a lot of clips today. We have uh, some pretty, really good clips. And the reason why I'm playing them is because I believe president Trump wants you to hear them because he posted them on his Twitter feed. And one was with Mark Levin and the other was with this guy named Benny. And, um, And so they're they're pretty interesting clips. So we're going to listen to those today. But we're also going to expand on what Dershowitz has said. We're going to dissect uh, what Shipwreck on Twitter has said related to um, what, uh, well, the safe harbor rule, Alito, looking over Pennsylvania, new fraud uh, found in Georgia. So we're going to go through my social media Twitter feed. And by the way, um, you may want to check out, I just posted on Facebook, uh, our new YouTube link, and uh, you could also go to uh, redstatetalkradio.com and see our YouTube page right now, live, uh, as we are speaking. And one of the nice things about it is that you um, uh, the things I put up there over the weekend, there are new additions to the page... Is my personal Twitter scroll? So when you know, so you could see who I follow and who I aggregate news from. and uh, so that that uh, Twitter feed is actually quite interesting. I think you might find it informative. People that I trust, people that I follow, they follow me back and and it's the kind of news aggregation I think that's uh, pertinent. So if you're looking for good sources, Check out redstatetalkradio.com. Check out my Twitter feed. Follow me on Twitter. But also check out our YouTube page. I posted that on Facebook. And uh, when you do, it has a live uh, Twitter feed. A live Twitter feed along the right column. And it has the latest uh, the latest news. Um, so that's another thing. you know. So it has the latest page on the Gateway Pundit. It also has different ways that you can actually donate to the show and to the station. Um, there's a lot of different things. Uh, be sure if you do check out YouTube to subscribe uh, to the to the YouTube channel and and then click the link bell, the like or like the page. That helps us with YouTube. And so, if you want to be helpful to the Scott Adams show, uh, one of the nice things would be to. Uh, like our page, subscribe, and click the notification bell. As we grow, uh, so does the value of that page. And YouTube looks at us differently. Uh, so we're trying—you know—we're trying to do some things uh, that are that are things that are outside of our wheelhouse, things we've not really done in the past, but we're doing them now because. Uh, That just seems to be the way the industry is going. I would rather just talk into the mic and not deal with any of that other stuff, but that's what we have to do these days. Um, All right, so I want to get to this Justice Alito thing first. We're going to start off with the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. A lot of people aren't even talking about that. Yes, I mean, uh, our prayers go out to Rudy Giuliani. I have to say... um, you know he came down and tested positive with COVID, and he did go to the hospital. But as a measure of measure of precaution, but I saw him on Maria Roma and he looked tired. And I said, "Well, wow, the guy was just in Arizona earlier in the week last week. Uh, he was in Michigan all day, all night, and he's flying to these places. One day he's in Arizona, the next he's in Michigan, the next day he's in." Georgia, and I'm thinking to myself, here he is in and out of airports, getting on and off planes, and he's, you know, getting older, right? And he looked fatigued. He looked tired. And this was a Sunday morning interview. I I think that maybe Maria had uh, pre-recorded that by a day, but it was current information that he was giving. And his eyes looked like he had tear, he was tearing up. Like his eyes looked water, water, watery. But it wasn't tears. It was a, it was a cold. And I said to myself, and I was, uh, I always watch Maria Bartiroma on the on the treadmill on the, on the elliptical machine. And I do this a little thing I do on the weekends, and um, and I noticed it right away, immediately. And then you come to find out that same day, the news is reported, that he has COVID. And he's now in the hospital. And we're going to pray for him. And he is one of the great warriors and American patriots, Rudy Giuliani. So, um, you know, he was talking about Georgia and all the fraud there. And he was talking about, you know, as Georgia's dominoes fall, that's going to translate over to Michigan and Maricopa County in Arizona, which there's news in every one of these places, anomalies. And what they're doing is they're going through the legislation, the legislatures. They're going through the legislatures because that is their path to to delay. See, the problem is the time. And Trump has said time and time and time again, no pun intended, that time is the problem. The facts are on their side, but time is the problem. You better believe a guy like Mark Elias, that you know dirtbag from Perkins Coie, uh, who always tweets out uh, really insidious things against the president of the United States and tries to act like he's the smartest guy in the room. And he is one of the D.C. people, I believe, that uh, Giuliani was talking about. I think that there may be an investigation in some places. But we are hearing that Bill Bill Barr, A.G. Barr, might be stepping down. Now, that's a rumor at this point. I'll be surprised, but I, I am surprised that I haven't heard from him. Most experts are recommending that he at least give an interim report, let the, let the people know that, that our FBI and our Department of Justice are fighting for them and not the Washington swamp. I remember back in the beginning... When A.G. Barr came along and I thought, okay, dry, no, you know, straight shooter. But then I saw that he was connected with the Clinton uh, Clintons and um, Vince Foster. And and then I saw that he was connected with uh, the Iran Contra to a certain degree. He was in photos that he shouldn't have been in, in my opinion. He was connected with the Bushes. And I was on the fence with him, and I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I thought, what does he have to lose? And Bill Barr is, you know, a tough guy, straight shooter. He's going to try to, he has nothing to gain or lose. He's not a career ladder. He's not climbing the career ladder. But did someone get to him? It's my concern. You know, I don't see him having that much security. You'd be surprised how little security some of these big shots have. I was in a train line to New York. One of the last times I went to New York to go on a train was actually the time before I was going. Actually, going to Philadelphia, but uh, take the same train to Philly as I do New York. And one of the things was I was going. Jerry Nadler was walking by himself, carrying his Zabar bag from the Upper West Side. You know, and this was the day that uh, Amy Coney Barrett was. Going to be or the day before, she was going to be in the Rose Garden for the nomination. That's where the Rose Garden massacre and everybody got sick from COVID. You just wonder if that was an attack, you know, a spray can of COVID going around the White House. Everybody at the White House got it. But again, the sinister plots from the Democrats—if that that one is true—that's a speculative conspiracy, but. Even if it was true, it bounced back in their faces because nobody got really that sick from the COVID. So you got 50 people getting COVID and 50 people barely getting a hiccup or a sneeze or a sniffle. And you got to say, is this what we're really closing the world down for? Crazy as it could be, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. It does not add up. That we're shutting everything down like we are For something that doesn't have a death rate as good as the flu, okay? You tell me what we're doing here, especially when you got these experts, so-called experts, telling you masks don't work. Then they all of a sudden do work. That the thing doesn't spread on water, and then all of on steel, and all of a sudden it does spread. That if you're asymptomatic, you're not a spreader. Now you are a spreader if you're asymptomatic. It's just crazy. I don't believe them. And I don't think that the masks work. I'll start, Sorry about that. Um, we always put those breaks in there. Uh, we, we're supposed to take breaks, actually. But we don't. Uh, we have so much to talk about. Um, in any case, so Giuliani's fighting, and he's fighting hard. And he was in Georgia. You got Linwood and Cindy Powell down in Georgia. Linwood brought a case to Georgia, and that one was denied by the courts. And you're seeing these courts at the lower levels, they're very liberal and they're very um biased and it's sort of unbelievable, but you know, that they won't they, they all these facts are right in front of them and they won't see the case. In a lot of cases it's procedural. They're saying you're too late or you could you know, there's no recourse for appeal. So there's a lot of rules and regulations and litig you know, litigation that litigants have to deal with. It's not just sort of rejected on its face or the merits of the case, but the merits of the case could be perfect, and yet the timing could not be perfect. And so time is really the essence. So that's where the legislatures come in. And the legislatures have to deal with this now because, see, the problem is if the legislatures say, you know what, we can't certify our electorates? And then is it constitutional to change the electorates that have already been decided? So, you know, maybe the Democrat, uh, for those who certified Democrat electorates, is it constitutional to be able to change the electorates for Trump? Is it constitutional to even do that? And if you can pull them back or you shouldn't certify. And these states that were certifying were radically left in the tank for Biden. And they certified. So these state legislatures have control and power, according to the Constitution, to, to decide who it is that they are going to, what kind of electorates they're going to issue. And so if they can pull it back or if they can hold withhold the certification or change the electorates midstream, because, let's face it, the rules changed midstream. You know, that's where you got Ted Cruz with and, and Mike Kelly with different arguments in the PA courts. The PA Supreme Court is very radically left biased. Like, I think it's five, five to two. So Alito is overseeing this case, and he was supposed to see Kelly's case, Congressman Kelly's case. He was supposed to see that case on Wednesday the 9th. And then there's this thing called Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor, we've talked about it in the past. And it had something to do with the 2000 case, too. But we're going to get into this right now. So you got this Safe Harbor issue. What is Safe Harbor? We're going to get to that. Justice Alito advances by one day and several hours. The deadline for Pennsylvania to respond, my speculation, as to why. And so this was uh, written by Shipwreck and uh, I want to get into it because he, he has a good handle on this stuff. So I've written twice through thus far on the settling of Justice Salito of a deadline for the Pennsylvania state defendants to file their response to the emergency application for injunctive relief filed by GOP Congressman Mike Kelly and other plaintiffs. The plaintiffs are seeking Supreme Court review of the dismissal of their complaint by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Seeking it to declare all no excuse mailed in ballots to, for the no- November third election to be invalid. Now, Ted Cruz is bringing forth a similar case, actually, or it was Ted Cruz's case. Uh, actually, Ted Cruz, Ted Ted Cruz was push advocating for this case and selling it and arguing the case, but it was actually Mike Kelly's case. That's right. So these um, no-excuse mail-in ballots, they're going to deem them, try to invalidate them. Now, Alito also made a lot of different arguments that said, if you're going to do this, do it, segregate them, don't throw out your um, declaration signature ballot. And, you know, that's the, one of the biggest problems in every battleground state, probably every state. But, I mean, let's just say the ones that are being litigated right now, the biggest contest is when they do these recounts and audits like they're trying to do in Georgia, where you got Governor Kemp basically blowing wind because he knows that the decision's up to Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling uh, about the uh, audit and the signature verification. The reason why they don't want to do signature verification is they lose when that happens. And even though Gabriel Sterling in Georgia said something to the effect um, oh, I voted for Trump. I'm a Trump. I support Trump, but you know he lost this time. That's what he said on one of the other channels. Turned to find out that I found out over the weekend. He wrote all kinds of hateful things in tweets in 2016. So he lied. He's a liar. This Gabriel Sterling guy, this so-called Republican, down in uh. Turns out that they were getting kickbacks from Dominion to give them contracts and get all kinds of gravy and uh, Grease Palms. And uh, that's Gabriel Sterling. So, you know, he uh, was talking out of both sides of his mouth. He was a known liar. And you got this videotape of foul play, people stuffing ballots into the machine more than once, and people, uh, observers told to leave. And, and, you know, the tape was ironclad. You know, you you can't deny the tape. And that's what I've been advocating for. You know, like with in Philadelphia when I used to be with part of the Philadelphia Philadelphia GOP, there's this like loser named Al Schmidt. And Al Schmidt would basically uh he was like the uh county coordinator or whatever. And he he um election court campaign election coordinator and um for Philadelphia County. And I brought up video surveillance. He poo pooed it. He just totally rejected it and he laughed at me thought haha oh, you know, that's crazy you can't get your voter ID what do you think you're gonna get a camera but the guy doesn't have a creative bone in his body and he doesn't think outside of the box you could actually have a nonprofit organization with a body cam on their on their chest and just stand outside of a poll and count the people that walk in and count the people that walk out And if that number jives, then if they come up with 10,000 extra ballots out of that precinct, you're going to say, well, 10,000 people didn't walk in there. Right? Just do a head count. No identification required. It's still better than nothing. I still think that in the PA Convention Center, they have cameras just like in Georgia. And you can zoom in on these things and see that there's no signature on that declaration ballot or there's no declaration envelope. There's no, just a ballot. And that's the other problem is you're getting like 10,000 extra ballots with no envelopes. that never had envelopes. They're pristine, not even folded, as if they never were mailed out in the first place. How can they get mailed back? And so there's all kinds of different problems. And if the courts would just hear the evidence, but they won't. So Giuliani... And Jenna Ellis would go from Arizona to Michigan to Georgia and sell their goods to the legislatures because they, ran, they were running out of time. And that's part of what the courts were doing. They're as corrupt as that Emmett Sullivan co- court that tried to go after Flynn. And they're even still trying to go after Flynn, even after Flynn's pardon. Believe it or not, they're that corrupt. The swamp is deep. The corruption is wide and... And un- unbelievably bad. You wonder, we've been living in a banana republic for longer than we ever thought. Because the Democrats have ruined Washington. But, you know, there's a lot of Republicans that have too. The one good thing about Donald Trump is that he was never bought and sold. And he doesn't sell out America. And he did. He, he uh, was trying to, to, to restore the power to the people. Because he understands that what makes America beautiful and what makes America great and what makes America work is when it works the way it was designed to work. It was a beautiful idea. But somehow people who are power hungry or drunk on power don't see it that way. So you have this thing with the legislatures and if the legislatures can change the, change the dynamics and pull back their certifications and reallocate the uh, delegation for the electorates, then the Democrats are going to have to be on their heels and they're going to have to um, then bring the case to the Supreme court. And if the case goes to the Supreme court, I think you're going to find that uh, the merits of the case, the facts of the, uh, the, the fraud, are going to come to light and any court in the world is going to see it, that Trump won this. Trump won this election. You know, often I say this, I say that, you know, imagine you're running a marathon, right? Imagine that. Imagine you're running a marathon and it's a 26-mile race, right? That's what a marathon is. So you're running this marathon and, you know, the guy who uh, is your nemesis, the guy that you're running against that's really, you know, fast and good and strong, and you're running this marathon, he cuts through the park and he cuts a mile off the race and he ends up beating you by a minute. But we know that a mile can be run in about six minutes. So... Next thing you know, I'm a minute behind, and I'm like, how did he get ahead of me? I didn't even see him pass me, right? But next thing you know, this guy gets the win. But it's only two weeks later that there's a camera in the park. And two weeks later, we, you know, but it's past the certification deadline. Did the guy actually win? No, he didn't win. He cheated. He cut a mile. He ran 25. He didn't even run the whole marathon. So therefore, he didn't even finish. You should just get this disqualified. I mean, did Joe Biden even run the race? No. He sat in his basement. They took all the Democrat DNC money and put it into voter fraud. They didn't put it into setting up stages and and speaker systems and uh, sound checks and, 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 uh, you know, setting up rallies that are very expensive to produce. They didn't do that. They didn't cater to the people. They didn't shake hands and reach out. No, they blamed COVID for all this crap. And we know that COVID is a bunch of BS. It's an election infection. It's a plannedemic. It's a scandemic. A and shame on China for putting out, allowing one way or the other, by hook or by crook, by either they were stupid or they were willfully... Uh, Aggressive in attacking our country and trying to meddle in our elections and steal our intellectual property, whatever it is, China dropped the ball, China sucks. China sucks. And Americans aren't talking about China in the right light. They put us and the world through this. And everybody's talking about how the leaders of these worlds that are being attacked by COVID are, 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 are performing. Is this the Trump infection? Is this Trump's fault? No, it's China's fault. Let's put it in perspective, mainstream media. It's not Trump's fault. This isn't a Trump virus. This is a China attack on our country. And in, in a very inhumane way. And they either negligently allowed it to go out or they willfully put it out there. I did know, I do know that the first case was in December 2019, at least, at, at the very least. So, this the virus has been around the block and back. So, I don't know. But we're dealing with it, and this election is part of it. This election is just another phase of the COVID virus because of the mail in ballots. And the no-excuse mail. But, you know, to Pennsylvania's uh, situation, they actually did this in October 2019. And you got to wonder what the Republican legislatures and the GOP legislation in Pennsylvania, who controls the legislative chambers, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? So, it says here, Early Sunday morning, the Supreme Court docket for this case was updated, and the deadline for the response from the state defendants was moved up to 9 a.m. on December 8th. That's t- that's Tuesday, 9 a.m. No explanation was provided. Um, and it says December 8th is a noteworthy date, as that is six days prior to the meeting of the Electoral College six days. A statute passed by Congress states that if a state has resolved all disputes over its elections, certifies the results and names electors on or before that day, that determination shall be conclusive and shall govern in the counting of the electoral votes as provided in the Constitution as a there as a hereinafter regulated as and as Hereinafter after regulated so far as the assert- ascertainment of the electors appointed by such state is concerned title three usc section five what can be made of the fact that justice alito now wants the state defendant's response into the court with a full day remaining for the court to take action so what what could be made of that on the one hand It could be rationalized that Justice Alito and likely other members of the court want the views of both parties to be reflected in the record before it takes action, whatever the action may be. Keep in mind that Justice Alito could simply deny the injunction relief on his own without seeking the response of the state defendants. That is an option he seems to have rejected. If he were persuaded that the application of the doctrine of lashes by the Pen- by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court was appropriate or that only issues of state law were presented in the matter, the correct action for him to have taken would have been to simply deny the emergency application. He has not done so. So, uh, the suspicious. The, the writer suspects that most all justices are already at work drafting legal memoranda and or draft and or draft uh, opinions with regard to their views as to what the outcome should be on at least the emergency application, if not the actual merits of the underlying merit, uh, matter itself. So, what the writer suspects here, shipwreck, is. Has prompted the change in the response deadline is that one or more other justices sees a point of significance with regard to what day the court acts, whether that be on December 8th or December 9th. Again, there's a six day window between that and the all important December 14th date, the electoral college date. At that, at this point, I have not had a chance to look closely enough at the interplay of the dates with the legal issues involving the election. So this writer is not fully complete yet with his with his thoughts. Justice Alito was certainly concerned about available remedies when he ordered that any late mailed in ballots be segregated from the ballots while the court considered the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's extension of the statutory deadline for receipt of mailed in ballots. The alteration of the response date seems to suggest that the court will take whatever action it is going to take on December 8th, and doing so on December 8th is important to the determination of the matter by at least one justice. Accommodating that justice's anticipated vote would explain why Justice Alito felt compelled to make the change on a Sunday morning. Who that justice could be or why resolving the case on December 8th might be important remains a mystery. Okay, so we'll see. We'll see what happens, but there is a change over the weekend. Instead of December 9th, it was December 8th, and it had something to do with the safe harbor uh, where there needed to be a certain amount of days according to a certain statute um, to give them more legitimacy And to give them more um, of a strong footing on their decision. That their decision couldn't be tested at a later date because they didn't give enough time to one of the litigants, however they rule. So I think that's where that was coming from. And that's what's kind of important there. Then there is this situation with Dershowitz. So Alan Dershowitz says, Supreme Court may rule to let legislatures pick Alternative electors. So Dershowitz said on Sunday, again, a lot of stuff happened on Sunday, that he believes the Supreme Court may get involved in adjudicating on whether uh, state legislatures have the power to pick alternative electoral college electors who would vote for President Donald Trump if legislatures determined that there was voter fraud even after the initial slate of electors has cast its votes on December 14th. Dershowitz made the remarks in an interview with Fox News in which he was first asked about what he thought of claims made by Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, who said there was a pattern of fraudulent activity that swayed the election in favor of Democrat Joe Biden. And he said there certainly is probably cause for the investigation. The, the big problem is time. Again, it's time. And again, like I say, if you're running a marathon and your opponent cuts through the park and cuts a mile off their, their marathon and beat you by a minute when you know that the average pace was six-minute mile during that 26 miles, um, then what you're going to have is you're going to have a situation where if you lose by a minute, you would have won by five minutes. So they won by a minute. They get the gold but you were literally one by five minutes and you get the second place that doesn't seem right and you don't find this out until video surveillance cameras in the park you know basically exposed the the fraud two weeks later but that's two weeks too late The, the race has already been certified in the books and printed into the record book how do you reverse that Right is right, wrong is wrong, and in this case, our country hangs in the balance. It's, it's not a small deal. This is not a running race. This is not a marathon. This is the fight for what is right in America. The sanctity of our republic and our democracy and our constitution and the will of the people really hangs in the balance whether we, ha- we can have fair elections that we can trust you know, and, and all of that becomes really important. And I say, no way, Jose, do we ever concede. Do we ever put down our arms, you know, until the last, you know, blood is dripped or the sweat is dropped. The last fight is fought. Now, we don't give up. And so I'm not moving on and I'm not going to be somebody who's going to be talking about Biden's cabinet. There'll be time enough to do that if that should ever If that sin sin should ever happen, there will be time enough to do that. But right now, my eye is on the prize, and I hope Donald Trump's eye is on the prize, too. Incidentally, Warnock and uh, Loeffler had a very good debate last night. I thought she cleaned his clock. Loeffler and Warnock had a debate in Georgia. So that was interesting as well. All right, we're going to take a listen to a couple of clips um, that I want to listen to. We just covered Alito and we covered Dershowitz. And the one thing I would say is the whole going after the um, legislatures is to try to buy time because the timing sequences, when you compare them to the court court litigation processes, which there's stuff going on in Nevada, Maricopa County, in Michigan. What, what happens in Georgia, too, if they do do an audit and it exposes a lot of fraud and the cameras do, they're going to get cameras elsewhere. They're going to get more auditing um, done. I guess in Wisconsin, they got to audit 22 machines. They, if they find something there, it's going to be a game changer. There is a potential right now and I I mean, it's honest to goodness. There is a potential for Trump to win in Wisconsin, in Michigan, because there, there, there's enough fraud in these places, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, and in Maricopa County, which would change the outcome of Arizona. And then there's just endless amounts of fraud in Nevada, and that race is so few votes separated. It could very well be that Trump wins this in a landslide. And we should see. We shall see, but you got to do it in a certain way because you're not going to get it done through the courts right now. And it sounds like that's where you know everything is in the courts. But you got to almost hit the legislatures, and once they um, move away from the legislatures, I mean, once the legislators pull the electoral college and the electorates back again, if if Biden doesn't get to 270. If he doesn't get the 270, if he loses Pennsylvania and Michigan or Pennsylvania and Wisconsin or loses Georgia and Arizona, it doesn't matter. Trump has more paths to victory when you look at this picture. He has 13. Biden has 11. It's close. And their cheating made it close. It would never have even been close. This would have been an epic landslide of epic proportions. But somehow their cheating gives them that reward. They almost pulled it off. That shouldn't even be. They should be thrown in jail for the kind of fraud that was being done. They should pay the price. They shouldn't be rewarded by almost pulling it off. So even if they lose, there's got to be more to this. We have to punish them. But the idea is, is that Trump actually has more opportunity to win than Biden does. So we're going to go ahead and take a listen to um, two clips that Trump wants you to hear because he put them up on his Twitter feed. Every single thing that Trump tweets, by the way, is being censored by Twitter. You just have to go around and click extra clicks and buttons. Um, But let's go ahead and take a listen to um, this guy named Benny.
0: Here is what the election map looked like at midnight on November 4th, it had Donald uh, Benny Trump Johnson. projected to win over 300 electoral votes in a landslide if heavy Trump trends remained. But wait just a moment. Tis the season of giving, and swing states gave a lot to Joe Biden on this magical night. Stacks and stacks of ballots with Joe Biden's name on them were found under the election night Christmas tree in the morning. Keep in mind that all this happened in key swing states where President Trump had previously held massive leads earlier in the night. What? How is that legal? Actually, it isn't legal. And there's a lawsuit going to the Supreme Court over in Pennsylvania. The vote totals, shockingly in these states, matched precisely the margins that Biden needed to win, to make up these states that evening. A Christmas miracle, guys. Now, pause for a second. If Donald Trump won this election with the vote totals that came in like that— Do you think the DNC PR wing media would be telling the country to shut up and accept the results? Would you even be proud of that as a conservative? Of course not. Honest, decent people are disgusted by this level of Grinchy election rigging and abnormalities, no matter who it benefits. That's just honesty. Another magical abnormality is the fact that Trump expanded his base massively by 11 million votes. He grew his support with black voters by 50% this election, increased his support with Hispanics by 35% nationally. But he still lost? No incumbent president in history has lost re-election while expanding his base of support. A piece in the Federalist lays out more of Biden's seemingly magical election night miracles. Joe Biden supposedly received 80 million votes. 80 million? That's a ton. That's 11 million more than Barack Obama received in 2008 at the pinnacle of his popularity. Despite somehow beating Obama's turnout, he won a record low. Joe Biden won a record low of 17% of American counties. Joe Biden won only 527 counties in America. Compare that to the 873 counties that Obama won in 2008. Joe Biden did this all without campaigning. A Christmas miracle, certainly, people. Another miracle is the fact that Joe Biden won despite losing most historic bellwether counties. Trump won 18 of 19 counties that historically predict the winner of presidential elections. But don't you worry. Magic Joe pulled it all off. And you'll be banned from social media for questioning his magic. Magic Joe will be the first president in 60 years to lose both Ohio and Florida, but still win the election. Biden underperformed Hillary Clinton everywhere in the country, except in a few key counties. Pollsters Richard Barris and analyst Robert Barnes have noted that Joe Biden underperformed Hillary Clinton in every major metro area around the country, except for Milwaukee, Detroit, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. How magical. Magic Joe won despite Democrat losses nationwide. 27 seats were rated as toss-ups. Republicans have not lost a single one of those seats. So far, it appears that they will win them all. That means that Republicans went and voted for their local officials in the GOP, but against the most popular Republican president in modern history? That's true, by the way. President Trump received 94% of the primary vote. Historically, no incumbent who received 75% Of the total primary vote has ever lost re-election. A record 18 million voters showed up for President Trump in the 2020 primaries. That's more than any incumbent in history. The previous record, held by Bill Clinton, only had 9 million. Trump had an army, and Joe Biden had kindergarten circles. Joe Biden did not campaign. He did not inspire. He could barely speak. We all saw it. He regularly forgot his words or made up new ones. Take a look. I'll need an effective strategy to mobilize true international pressure. (laughs) If you guys believe that magical Joe Biden in a Christmas miracle actually received 80 million legal votes without campaigning, then you are in for some coal from the Benny Report this Christmas. Send us your address. Hopefully it'll be a post office box in Georgia.
1: You just watched Newsmax. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing um, that I, I feel like I wrote that myself because <laughs> I've said everything he has said on that. Now, here's Mark Levin, and he is talking with a guy named Patrick Basham, and it's about the reasons why the 2020 presidential election is deeply puzzling. OK, let's listen to this.
0: why the 2020 presidential election is deeply puzzling. His name is Patrick Basham. He is the director of the Democracy Institute, which is a wonderful group, and a professional pollster. And, Patrick, it's a pleasure to have you. I would like you to walk
2: through these these issues that you found to be deeply puzzling. Go right ahead. Absolutely. Um, I approached the article Uh, none of us are objective, but we all try to be, we hope we we are at least independent-minded. And so how would an independent-minded person assess uh, the quote-unquote outcome as the media has designated it of the 2020 presidential election? And I looked at three aspects. First of all, I looked at the quasi-results. And if you look at the results— You see how Donald Trump improved his performance, national performance, over 2016 by almost 20 percent. No incumbent uh, president has ever lost a re-election bid if he's increased his votes. Obama went down by three and a half million votes between 2008 and 2012, but still won comfortably. Um, If you look at those results, you see that Donald Trump did uh, very well even better than four years earlier with the white working class. Uh, he held his own with women and suburban voters against all of most of the polling expectations. He did very well with Catholics. He improved his vote amongst Jewish voters. He had the best minority performance for a Republican since Richard Nixon in 1960, uh, doing so well with African-Americans and, importantly, with Hispanics. So I sort of suggest this thought experiment. I think if you one took 100... Uh, well-informed about the American political scene, 100 observers who were sequestered for the the actual election night and since. And you gave them the vote breakdown by demographic group, and you saw where Biden and Trump did well or did poorly. You laid out all those numbers, but you omitted the one fact, or shall I say the one assertion, that Biden had won the national popular vote in there and, and consequently in the respective swing states was going to be the next president. And you gave them all the demographic data, all the exit poll data, and you asked them, so who do you think won the election? My suggestion to your viewers is that 99 at least out of those 100 independent, well-informed observers would say, well, obviously Trump, right? So we, we know from the vote itself Uh, or the the alleged vote, the alleged result, that it is something very strange has happened because the numbers just don't add up. They don't measure up to our polling that was conducted right up to the election and the likes of Richard Barris or the Trafalgar group, the polls that were uh, the most accurate by some distance, everything suddenly went very strange in the middle of the night. Now, that could happen. It's just very, very unusual. And if this was an exceptional election, as some people assert, and that's why the numbers seem strange, then you would expect it to be have a uniformity to that exceptionalism. So Joe Biden, Uh, would have increased his support, not just in key precincts, in key cities, in key swing states and nowhere else, but he would have had a sort of uniform victory. He was the challenger. He has apparently, allegedly received more votes than any candidate for president in American history. And yet he has done very, very poorly in most of the country, except where it absolutely mattered. Another way of looking at this is to look at what I call the non-polling metrics, the things like uh, party registration trends, how the candidates did in their respective presidential primaries, uh, the number of individual donations, uh, how much enthusiasm each candidate generated in the opinion polls. There are sort of a dozen or more of these metrics. Now, these metrics have a 100 percent accuracy rate in terms of predicting the winner of the presidential election. Some of them are more recent, like Google searches. Others, obviously, like registration trends, are, are, have far more history behind them. In 2016, they all indicated strongly that Donald Trump would win against most of the public polling. That was, again, the case in 2020. So if we are to accept that Biden won against the trend of all these non-polling metrics, it not only means that one of these metrics was inaccurate this time for the first time ever. It means that each one of these metrics was wrong for the first time and at the same time as all of the others. It is not statistically impossible, but it's statistically implausible. Another way of looking at what happened is to look at how the vote was, the vote ballots were accumulated and how they were tabulated and counted on election night and obviously since then. In fact, in places like California, they are still counting. And what you see there is a, a ridiculous, bizarre number of anomalies. Uh, Some of them are statistical. Some of them are procedural. You have, for example, a historically low ballot rejection rate for absentee and mail-in ballots. Uh, Rejection rates which, in the primaries earlier this year, were well into the double digits and which historically have often been very, very high. In these key swing states, or at least in the key swing counties, we're seeing rejection rates of less than 1%, often very close to to 0 now, given the increase in absentee balloting and the lack of experience that most of the new, ballot, new voters and those doing the counting would have with those ballots, it is implausible, to put it politely, that that figure would be as low as it was.
1: So there, and then I would add uh, that <laughs> there was a, there was a, a lot of... Um, there was a lot of ballots that were unaccounted for. Uh, I would add that, too, to to what Patrick Berman just said uh, on the Mark Levin show uh, that Donald Trump retweeted this morning. Uh, So Donald Trump's response to that was so true, no way we lost this election. And uh, Donald Trump also... Uh, basically said a must-watch. Hope the lawyers are all taking notes. All facts do not flag uh, this on Twitter. And, of course, they did flag it on Twitter. Um, But it's pretty amazing stuff. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of people tweeting a lot of good stuff as well. And, uh, like, Ivan uh, Penchikov says, Chief Investigator... Uh, in the office of the Georgia Secretary of State debunks the official claim that a burst pipe de- de- delayed vote counting in faulting County, a urinal overflowed and vote counting was not affected. And they have that on camera where they were doing the votes. And it happened at a time that was outside of the counting time. And they quickly resolved the issue. Yet they, they blame that. They use that as a lie, as a ruse. To say that's why we asked everybody to leave. Well, it wasn't even the same time frame. So, you know, when you read this, it says, did not affect the counting of votes. And that's the official investigation. So there were more lies there, right? Um, <clears throat> and And just so much more, you know. So what we have to do is stick to our guns. We can't be, you know pushed around by our peers and liberals. And I would recommend, you know, not to, not polluting your mind with the gaslighting that goes on with the mainstream media. I just think that's just a bridge too far. Um, there's a one more thing I want to read before we uh, actually uh, run out of time today. And it's a Charlie Kirk tweet. It says, in Georgia alone... Sworn testimony alleges this, 2056, sworn testimony, 2056 felons illegally voted, okay? 2056 illegal uh, felons, or felons voted illegally. 66,000 under 18 voted. Under 18, you're not allowed to vote. 66,248. 2,423 weren't registered. One thousand forty-three used a PO box to register. That's a PO box that you're not supposed to allow allowed to use, right? Ten thousand three hundred fifteen died before the election. Three hundred ninety-five voted in two states. Fifteen thousand seven hundred moved out of Georgia, and forty thousand two hundred seventy-nine changed county and didn't re-register to vote. Okay. So 40,279 changed counties and didn't re register to vote. These are all demonstrably provable, easily to, easy to prove, you know, and there's just so many anomalies. You could take that to Maricopa County where it says, agents raid home in Maricopa County in voter data theft investigation, confiscate eight hard drives, three computers, and a bag of USB sticks. Right, and then you got this guy in Georgia named Ralph Jones Sr. was outed by loudmouth Gabriel Sterling. Son Ralph jo- Jones Jr. is the official spokesman for Democrat U.S. Senate candidate Warnock. Linked to Stacy Abrams, right? So they're being investigated for fraud. It's it's all over the place. the The question is time. Do we have the time to get this together? And what will buy us time are the state legislatures if they do the right thing. This will all be settled. It should all be settled if the legislatures do the right thing. And I think that the Trump team is on the right path right now, the best path that they have to victory. And uh, let's just hope and pray that they get it. All right. Well, you've been listening to The Scott Adams Show, and uh, that's it. Uh, That's it. That's the end of our show for now. And I'll see you next time on the radio. Be sure to check out our podcasts over at scottadamshow.com. And check out our YouTube page. All
2: right. are a stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.